0: Here now, as I read out of Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again. For the reading of this particular portion of scripture, your word, your account of your mighty deeds and work, may it be that you would instruct us through this, that we would continue to ask what shall we do and then respond with repentant and trusting hearts, hopeful hearts, that your Holy Spirit will move through your people, through all your people, through the children of your people, and through all in whom you have called. Father, equip us and prepare us and use us for that work here and anywhere you take us, today and day by day. Make these things so that we would reflect the fruit and work and wonder and love of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm on the end of my uh, two weeks of being off for a while, then I'm going to have two weeks where I'll be intermixing ministry work with install work, and it's been a rigorous last past couple of weeks with... A lot of conversations with many of you all and i've had the opportunity to somewhat ask the question of what is it that you think that we need more of in our congregation and in those conversations i've been able to hear back things that to have more clearer presentation of the word to have more rigorous time and devotion in the study of the word to have more rigorous fellowship with one another where we can build each other up and to share our needs and our weaknesses with one another and to have more rigorous singing with one another. We all know the necessity of singing and desire to hear the Lord's praises coming from one another. And as I look at this particular passage today, I think that in many respects that we can ask ourselves in light of that particular desire in our heart, what shall we do If those are the desires the Lord has placed in our heart, I believe that all of those particular desires are sincere desires of the Holy Spirit working amongst the people of God. None of those things were, maybe we should have a swimming pool or maybe we should have our masseuse or something, a church masseuse. None of them were based upon some kind of self-focused direction. I hope I'm not planting any seeds of other desires. But those are all things that are parallel to what we see in the scriptures that should be parallel to the people of God, the body of Christ, and what they should desire if the Holy Spirit is moving in them, that they would be devoted to the Word, that they would be able to hear a clear presentation of the Word, that they would be more devoted themselves in a more rigorous study, that they would grow and learn more about the Lord. Like I mentioned, our friend Kristen, who wants to know more about the Lord, and this is where we would find it in His word, that we would be able to have more rigorous fellowship, that the transformation of the Word would be evident that as we speak to one another in each other's homes and we speak to each other's in each other's lives, that we would have this encouragement to one, to share our weaknesses, to confess our sins to be encouraged about the forgiveness of our sins and the walking of the Lord in our life. And that that would manifest in us a people of praise, a people of praise where we would hear, just like we did in those conversations, the song, the beautiful singing of the people of the Lord. This particular passage that I'm focusing on today, which is the next to the last of a series of five of this one paragraph, which is titled in my Bible, The Fellowship of Believers. I've looked at this passage over and over again in the past three and a half years. That, along with Matthew 24 and 25, as as being hopefully instigators and inspiration and, and instruction for us in our walk as a congregation together and Taking the time to go through it, I've been praying that it would be clear to us that these would be manifestations of the Holy Spirit working in us. And if we felt that these things are lacking, that we would turn back to the Lord in our prayers and in our petitions and say, Lord, you have said in just a few verses before that, that this is a promise, that this is a promise of the Holy Spirit for all those who believe, for all those who repent and believe in the Lord, that this would be a promise of his fruit among us. Of course, we would have to go immediately, and that's why I've read over and over again, to the first thing that Peter says when he says, when they ask him, what shall we do? We're going to encounter immediately the reality of sin. Are we repentant? Do we believe? And we think, well, if it's the Spirit that's doing these things, are these just really an account of what was going on? Or how can this really be an instruction? Can we provoke the Spirit to move? It's God's going to have to do that, right? Can we make it happen? We can't instill the Spirit into one another. Well, I want to take a moment and think about the language that's in this particular passage and then some associated passages that are provoking action for us in responding to what God has called us to do it's still a fulfillment of what shall we do now the reality of its actual fruition and its movement and its work will be the spirit but there are things that we are to do in light of this account of what was happening I think this particular verse, verse 46, is is kind of amazing. I, I don't like to be critical too much of all the hard work that goes into the English translations of Scripture. But I, as I've studied this particular verse and going into 47, it seems that not that their words are wrong, but they seem to fall short. They, they don't hit the magnitude of what they could actually be saying and maybe maybe they thought it through and they were thinking about the size and i'm sure they have all these different reasons in it i am not a a translation scholar i i'm I'm sure that there were purposes and reasons for how they came out with what they came but just look at this particular passage is the first thing i want to do here is just go through this passage and to share with you some of the things that I've discovered as I've studied this passage and looked at these words and and what some of these words mean and dissected a bit. And then secondly, I want us to go through and look at how we are to follow Jesus as an example of how he was faithful to this particular passage. Now, typically, I'd prefer to talk about how Jesus fulfilled the work for us. Instead of just an example, there's so much talk about Jesus being a good teacher and a good example for us to follow. But he is a good example at the same time, though he is the one doing the work. He is also one that is a good example that we are to follow. That's what he does when he goes to the disciples. He goes and he says, follow me. And so here we can listen to Jesus as we look at how he was faithful to these particular actions that was going on in the church and we can listen to him and follow him. And then lastly, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit, how the Galatians passage that is very famous and popular about the fruit of the spirit is very heavily manifested in this particular verse and passage that we're going through today. In the very first part of that Verse in verse, verse 46, it says, and they excuse me, verse 47. Well, no, it is 46, I'm gonna have to get bold print. I know, big print, I'm gonna have to do that. 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. Now, the word attending is a fairly common word for us when we talk about church. Like, what church do you attend? And I know for some pastors that we make a distinction between attending and membership because sometimes people will attend, but they have not yet committed. And so they'll say, well, they're attending this particular church, but they haven't necessarily committed to being a part of that body for, for a long period of time. And so the word attending may be a challenging word for us. It may be a perfectly good word for this particular passage. But I think for many of us, we just think about that you show up to the most part. It doesn't really seem to have tremendous magnitude of anything of attending. You might attend a class, and if any of you that have gone to classes somewhere, if you've gone to school, um, attending is getting you there, but you know, if you fall asleep or if you're inactive or if you're not listening, you still get to be counted as attended, right? You're, you attended. But it's not what's being said here in this particular passage. Not a Greek scholar, but I do want to think about this particular word, especially in light of the psalm that we read today. I thought it was really great how Jonathan highlighted that. This, and it's always great for us to dwell upon this steadfast love of the Lord. This particular word, "attending," is actually two Greek words. Well, attending together. It's 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 a big word, though. It's a big big phrase, I guess you could say. It's proscaratero homothimadon. And what that means is steadfast, continuing, in one accord. It is a other words that they use for this translation, for the Greek meaning of it, is this continual, devoted, constant, persevering in one accord, in unity with one another. That's a lot different than attending together. We could go attend a movie together. We could go attend a class together. But to steadfast, this parallel of steadfastness, when we read the psalm, the psalms that point out the Lord's steadfast love to us many places in the scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. It is a constant praise of the Lord, of his steadfast, continuing, persevering love for his people. We don't want God to just attend our lives. We don't want him just to be around. That I think God is here somewhere amongst us if we know our frame, if we know who we are, if we know our weakness, we want his steadfast commitment. We want his continual preserving love. If we know about our weakness, we're going to, Lord, please don't leave as soon as I mess up. Persevere with me. Stay with me. Walk with me. This is what is actually said in these particular Greek words in this passage that as the Spirit was being poured out in this tremendous way, one of the fruits that came from that was that they were steadfastly continuing persevering together in their time in the temple. Now, this is not a call for us to go back to the temple. You have to understand the time of the transition of this was the common place where they were going. And we also know the temple was destroyed and we know that things changed. We also know that in time that their frequency changed, we see that they met often on every first day of the week. This was kind of a a convention might, if you might call, or some kind of conference of gathering when they were together for Pentecost, people came from a lot of different places and were there, the Lord drew people together for this moment of revealing the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit being given to his people. And so this day by dayness not to say that we shouldn't be day-by-day with each other, but it's not necessarily a command that we attend worship together. But there is this distinction, this very helpful distinction, that they were steadfastly continuing together in a corporate way by being devoted to the word, and then they were in each other's homes. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, they had churches in their homes, and so we can be in our homes, and then they kind of transition from that, well, it's just, it's just me and my family, we're in our home, and then it's just, it's just me and the Lord in my bedroom, and then it's just me and the Lord in the car, and just me and the Lord in the shower, and, and then I don't really need this other stuff. Well, the fruit of the Spirit being manifested among his people, is both. It's, it's what's going on corporately and then familially, and of course, that goes all the way to individually. I've been inundated with reminders of, throughout the scriptures, of the necessity to teach people to refrain from sexual immorality. And it's interesting, Jennifer is way ahead of us in our family readings Together, because she reads, through, she's reading different passages while, I'm, especially while I'm gone. So she just continues when we get together for the meals, and she's further along in Acts. And then there's a moment there where there's still confusion about circumcision, and then Peter just kind of clarifies. It. It's Peter, right? Peter says it's just just to, just to narrow it down, and, it, and I really kind of narrowed it down to two. He says three things, but it's really two things. And then later he kind of narrows it down to two. He says, "Stop participating in idolatrous worship." and stop being sexually immoral. Just work on those two things. <laughs> all will go well with you. you know, don't worry so much about circumcision and temple worship and, and all that. But Jesus is, has, has moved us to a different level. But for right now, just refrain from things that are related to idolatrous worship and stop sexual immorality. And I thought it was interesting, especially in light of this passage, that this combination of their time together in worship and participating in pagan worship, he says stop doing those things and then also stop doing the things where that's manifested in your own body, in your own individual life. Bring it home in the place where what I have created is to be a tremendous display of my faithfulness to the church, the husband and the bride, Christ and the church. Stop lying about who I am and my faithfulness with your sexual immorality. Be consistent in your life, with your body, with what you worship. And this is the same thing. We are transitioning from seeing the steadfast love of being together and then it goes into the home. It says that they were breaking bread in the home and all commentators have made it very clear this is a very distinctive thing from the breaking of bread that's in the beginning of that paragraph. The breaking of bread in the beginning of the paragraph is their corporate feasting with the Lord's table but then the manifestation of that in their fellowship in each other's home. And then it says that they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Well, you might say, well, those are good terms. There's nothing wrong. Yeah, we should receive our food with glad hearts. They were thankful and then they were generous. That's a tremendously good posture to be in. Well, I looked at that word glad. That word glad means exuberant, exhilarating, explosive joy. That's a little different than just glad. I mean, how we use glad. You know, like, man, I'm glad I got here in a timely manner. Well, that's not exuberant joy. It's exuberant joy. It should be a festivity of celebration. The hospitality of God's people to one another should be this exuberant, exhilarating excitement. I was talking to someone at our congregation this week about how he longs for that kind of fellowship in his home. And, and though he loves Bible study and thinks that we should be in the word, but there should be this festive sense that when you go into a place that it's welcoming and warm, that there's an exuberant joy, it should show forth a fruit. I mean, there's a place for rigorous study in the word, and then there's a place for the breaking of bread and exuberant joy and fellowship. That should be a part of the body of Christ. But then the interesting word also, this generous, which I think is a good word that we would have this generous word, but it is a deep heart word. The more I studied this word, it was talking about a pure and humble heart that match with this exuberant, exhilarating joy is that as we are being hospitable to one another, that we have these, these clean hearts to each other. It's like our hearts toward one another is being cleansed and is pure, that there's not a sense of competitiveness or or belaboring that I have to be with these people, but there's this open and clean heart of wanting to invite people into the feasting of the Lord. So as you can see that as I've looked at these words, they they're good words, but they fall short of really this, this major heart transformation in God's people to be endeavoring in this kind of fellowship. And then they praised God. And this is something I want us to really take a moment and think about here. Now, of course, the praise, this particular word is, is, is very related to the musical praise. It's only used in the New Testament typically about singing and music. But as it's associated in light of what's in this particular passage and context, of as we transfer from this understanding of their hospitality and this praising God, one of the things that I've been humbled by, and I've referenced this recently in a previous sermon, that there are opportunities for us to be hospitable to each other, but it becomes sometimes a show told you about some of the previous experiences that Jennifer and I had years ago where there seemed to be this life of fruitfulness amongst God's people in the Christian community in which we were in. And I'm not saying that, it wasn't, that there wasn't some elements of that there, but the question that you need to dissect and look at in your own heart and in your own life, in a life of hospitality, when you are there and when you leave, Are you left with praising God? Are the words that you are feasting on as you're having your tremendous feast together, are they words that are sharing the mighty works of God? Often, Jennifer and I thought about that in retrospect many years of thinking, I don't recall really thinking a whole lot about what God was doing. And who God is. I was kind of just soaking in the joy of what we were doing. What we were building. How we were so different than the world. How we were so much better than the world. It wasn't just a matter of being better off because of what God was doing. But that we had tapped into something that made us better in the world around us. I think God gave us a temporal taste, but I believe we lost that because we didn't praise God. Much of our hospitality is more about praising ourselves. Praising what we are and what we're doing. Showing off our things instead of the gifts that are from the Lord. That's the distinction between That kind of fellowship where you feel like you're open enough to be able to share your weaknesses. If you're always praising yourself about how great you are and how great you're doing things and how much together you have, those you invite into your home can't compete. And so therefore, they're not going to feel like they can open up about their weaknesses because there's no one here with weaknesses. That's our temptation. I mean, we do it from the very beginning as we're cleaning up the house, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't try to clean up the house so that we can be hospitable to one another. Don't just be, you know, you've got your dirty laundry laying out there and, you know, you don't clean up anything. The table's still sticky from where little Johnny has spilt, you know, juice on the table. Don't don't be inconsiderate. But don't we worry about that? You can tend to to see how much when we get stressed and we start Devouring one another as a family, we're trying to get everything together. We got to make it look perfect because we're perfect. We've got it together. (laughs) Jennifer jokes when I come home early from work. Early, I'm not done cleaning the house. Like I know it's already dirty. (laughs) It's okay. That's not the kind of hospitality that the Lord is asking us to give to one another. It's that we would be so full of all of what the Lord is doing that we can't stop talking about what God is doing. And we only take breaks to say, how are you? What can I do for you? That the only two people in the conversation for us is what God is doing and what I can do for you. Not look at this, look at what I've done, look at this thing that's so good about me. Because then here, it manifests the fruit. And this is not something that you can manufacture here. There's not something that you can do. It says, having favor with all the people. I was really thankful for this particular passage here, this particular portion of the passage here, because it up-glued together some things for me. I went to a funeral, and the guy preached in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs, and he highlighted about how having a good name is to be cherished more than gold and silver That favor is better than great riches. That a good name is better than ointment, an ointment that is used in preparation of death or to make things smell good. That a good name is better than what might be perceived by the senses that everything is good, that everything is together, that the Lord is blessing us with good things that that favor is more to be cherished. Well, I wanna go through real quickly here and see what the Lord has shown us in his word about how Jesus fulfilled this in faithfulness. And the place I first wanna go to is in Luke chapter 2, 49, where it says that Jesus was found in the temple when his parents lost him. I love this story. I love this story about how Jesus's parents lost their son for a minute. Now that we have two vehicles that we travel around, we always have to, I have to text or call Jennifer before she pulls out of a driveway. How many do you have? I don't, I've got this many, know, how many, who do you, who's missing? Cause we're always afraid of that. This very kind of mundane, common place of life. And so as they're scrambling around in their life, where was Jesus? Jesus was in the temple. The reason why he was in the temple was not just because he was kind of like, you know, I've got to fulfill all of the law because I'm dying for all my people, and uh, I'm going to just go to the temple and hang out, and I'm going to have to show these guys that they're wrong. These guys are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. No, he was in the temple because he loved the word. He loved discussing the word of God, the hope and promises Yeah, he was there to show that he was here to fulfill it. It's one of the first things he said. He says, this is me. But he was there as a 12-year-old amongst the teaching and the study of the word. And we know that this wasn't a burden for him because when they asked, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, did you not know? that I would be about my father's work in my father's house because it is his father's words. He It is God's word. It is the word. He was longing steadfastly to be among the word of God with the people of God. And then we see that everywhere he went, he was going into people's homes. He was breaking bread with them. He was amongst his disciples, and he was amongst sinners. We see this when he called Levi, one who was a tax collector, later to be known as Matthew, one who was despised amongst the people who all of his friends were despised amongst the people. And he enters into his home, and it's a transformative time of life when Jesus is in the home of the people. The Pharisees criticized him for being in sinners' homes. Now, I want us to stop here and think about this for a second, because I think it's really easy for us to make this an idyllic thing very quickly. We'll make this just like how we make our hospitality an idol for ourselves. We'll do the same thing here. We start thinking of what kind of people we would like to have in our home that have different kinds of labels of sinners that would make us go, yeah, I'm good with this. I like, I want to have some... I want to have some ex-cons in my home. I want to have some people who are atheists in my home. And I want to have different people who are considered to be sinners in my home. But I want you to think about Levi. and I want you to realize he was despised. Okay? He wasn't a cool sinner. He was considered to be a traitor to the people of God. The Pharisees weren't just like the Pharisees were just all of their personalities were bad and all of the sinners people had good personalities and Jesus liked to hang out with the fun sinners. That's, I think that tends to be kind of how we shape that in our mind. That these were the cool guys. We will pick and choose what kind of sinners we want to have in our home. We want to have the kind of people that we like. And we can have fun with that. That we can connect with. No, no, no. The sinners that Jesus, okay, let me back up and go another way. Jesus likes to hang out with sinners more like yourself. <laughs> and he knows your sin. He knows what kind of person you are. He's not like, you know what, I, I, I kind of like Adam. He's a good guy. We have a good conversation. I'm going to hang out. Now, he gets near to Adam, and I get to work with Adam this week, so he can, he can scold me later. I'm going to get near with Adam cause of all of his stink. Sin. That's why I'm drawn to Adam, because I want to be there. I want to see the mighty work of God transform the stink into life. Do the people that you tend to think about being hospitable with and eating with, do you tend to say, well, I I like that person. We have a good time. And then you kind of like, well, I can label it. They're they're not necessarily a churchgoer, so I'm kind of being like Jesus. That's not the posture of Jesus. If Jesus was of that kind of posture, he would never enter into our home. Because he knows us too well. He was just looking for people that he liked. He would never show up. Let us not invite people just because it makes us look cool. That it's something that our name, for our understanding of a good name, see here in this favor is more like what Jesus was there in that same story after he was found in the temple. It said that he submitted to his parents. You know, he just got through telling his parents, he said, didn't you realize I'd be doing the work of my father, be in the father's house? And it said right after that, that he submitted to his parents. He submitted to his sinful parents. There weren't deity like him. He submitted to them and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor among God and man. My mind gets blown at that every time. I don't know how that is. But the things I can grasp on too is that he submitted to his father and mother. He submitted to those in whom he was to be in obedience to his authorities and he grew. There was growth. There was wisdom being grown. I don't get it. Don't try to get me to explain it. But he was amongst God's word. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And because of that, there was favor from the Father. And there was favor from the people. Here it says that as these people, these Christians, were doing these particular things, praising God instead of themselves, They were having favor among all the people. That the good name of Jesus was what was being proclaimed. I mentioned in the wedding yesterday, it's the only name that we have any hope for. It's not that we want to make Humphrey or Miller or Mel... We wanna make it the best Humphrey that there is, and that's what's going to be good for us when we die. The only thing that's gonna be good for us when we die is that if we have the name of Jesus all over our life. And in closing here, as we look at our call in Galatians, he says that you are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. We have this action verb of to walk by the Spirit. We are to be like Jesus and how he fulfilled this by looking at the things that Jesus was doing and how Jesus was doing it. But then we are to walk in the Spirit. That means we have to. We have to do something. It's not just lay in the spirit and wait for him to lift us up. But we are to walk in the spirit. We're to be led by the spirit. And we are to be able to distinguish between what are the works of the flesh and what are the, the fruits of the spirit. Let's just look again here. It's an important list for us to look at. Number one, sexual immorality are the works of the flesh. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the works of the flesh of a people who are dwelling upon themselves to be focused on themselves to be worshipping themselves to be feasting amongst in the, themselves instead of feeding the sheep of the Lord but this is the fruit of the spirit is love we have to remember what this word love is this dissect that it is that agape love we use that word we like that word agape love but that word is only used to refer to God's love in any Greek literature. It's not your kind of love. This is God's love. God's perspective and posture toward one another. It's not loving people that love us. It's not loving people who are like us. It's like God's love for us that that should be a fruit. That when people see us inviting people into each other's homes and fellowshipping with them, that it would be a temptation for other people to be like the Pharisees, like, why are they together? Why why are those Christians? Why are those people from that church? I don't like those people. The interesting thing is that it would probably be just other members of the church that we had over. Are we willing to not just invite those kind of people into our home? Are we willing to just have conversation with them? ask them how they're doing? pray for them? Do we spend more time analyzing the weaknesses of one another <laughs> Jennifer hit me hard this morning. When we get into analyzing one another's other people, we should just stop and pray for them. Quit analyzing them. Quit trying to figure out what they got all wrong in their life, that if they would have just done things the way we do things, they would have made this decision in life. They wouldn't have screwed up like that. We should be quickly to prayer. We should be quickly to invite those people into our home. We should be quick to put our arms around those people. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Brothers and sisters, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then in the next chapter it says that if we happen to see those sins exposed, if we have those moments, if it's one from a distance where we're starting to analyze if we see people and their weaknesses, or if we happen to have a further fruit where they're in our homes and are actually sharing their weaknesses to us, it says, to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. That's what it would be to transition anal- an analyzing one another to prayer. Take it upon ourselves and say, Lord, we know what it's like. We've been in this particular situation. Lord, we thank you that you took us away from that, but we have a brother and sister here. Lord, please help them. They're, they're not seeing this, or maybe we're not seeing it right, but Lord, please Hear this burden. And when we do that, it says, so to fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In verse seven, it says, be not ye deceived. Again, just like we talked about in James, this is another action item. Instead of, you know, we need to not be deceived to forget that the Lord has given us all these good gifts and all these good things. It says, God will not be mocked for whoever one sows, he will, whatever one sows, he will also reap. If we reap with just analyzation, if we reap with just finding people that are like us to hang out with and we just think that's doing what God is telling us to do. If we think that we can just take whatever we want in the word and just kind of apply it to where it makes us feel good instead of being devoted, steadfast, persevering together one another, trying to get the word, trying to understand the word, sharing the word and its impact in our own lives through repentance and faith, if we think we can do something else other than that, if that's what our lives are about, if that's what we commit our time to, we will reap what we sow, which will be nothing, will not be of the fruit of the Spirit. And so so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. He has to remind us. He knows how we are to each other. He knows that the closer we get to people, the easier it is to want to push them away. We might think, well, this doesn't sound very evangelistic. This is the only way people want to be, why would people want to be drawn to a Lord, to a people, to the body of Christ, if we're just so full of ourselves? We want to be full of the Spirit. This is the work that Jesus has accomplished. This is the promise that he's promised for those who believe. This is the work of the Spirit. Manifesting itself in the church. Brothers and sisters, it's not if it's going to happen amongst God's people. The question can often be, and it gets scary. Are we God's people? Are we those who are acting like God's people? Are we cut to the heart? Are we filled with awe? Are we filled with the humble open recognition that that agape love for us is not a love that we can manufacture. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouragement of what the Spirit has done and is doing in the church. Father, I believe that we long for this some of the time. I believe we are weak, Father, We are so easily distracted, where just like in the passage that we are at war with the flesh, that we do the things that we don't want to do. Father, we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would convict us, that you would draw us and that you would push us to obedience in these areas, not to gain your favor, but to be those who manifest the fruit of your work. This is a promise, Father, for your people. May it be that we would be truly your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us start from this point on, from this hearing of his word. Let's start with praising with his song of his mighty work and deeds. Let us stand. Amen.